The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. Uh, it's P and Eight starting off the episode here instead of Pooty because it's uh, it's just me. I'm in my office today instead of in Garage Mahal, and I'm joined by one of our church members, Anthony Yule. Uh, Chris is not able to join us, but uh, we need to get some recording done. And uh, Anthony and I have had lots of great conversations about the topic that we want to talk to you about today. But before I introduce him, uh, just some housekeeping items. So we are the Rebel Podcast. We're part of the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Um, so if you download the Fight, Laugh, Feast app and you just click over on the Canadian side, that's one of the uh, areas you can get this podcast. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on all the social media platforms. And of course, at uh, patreon.com slash reformed rebel is where you can uh, get some exclusive content and uh, sign up to give back to the podcast if you find it helpful and if you uh, choose to do so. So that's all the housekeeping items. We're super stoked. Uh, make sure you look at the Fight, Laugh, Feast uh, social media feeds. Uh, there's a, a wonderful conference that's being held down in Tennessee in uh, September uh, that uh, we're going to be a part of, and uh, we're excited to meet a bunch of you there. So uh, that's that. Uh, we're uh, we're going to jump into uh, our topic today. Uh, one of the things that uh, Anthony and I often talk about when we get together, Anthony is a, a heritage student, a, a business owner, a, a, a theology uh, <laughs> nerd, <laughs> And um, and one of the things that he is working on in terms of his thesis as he's working his way through um, his schooling is uh, really studying occultism, um, studying uh, spiritual warfare, demonology. I don't know what all the necessary terms are, but uh, we end up having uh, lots of conversations about how um, occultism and some of the uh, some of the the really uh, I would say. Um, uh, dark areas, uh, often untalked about areas of uh, of the Christian faith, have really seeped back into secular society. And uh, Christians who don't educate themselves in this area um, are uh, are often uh, uh, confused and not necessarily seeing some of the darkness that's in the culture around us. On top of that, you have, and I think it was C.S. Lewis, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Anthony, but uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, you know, there's kind of two equal and opposing errors when it comes to... Um, uh, Satan and demons in the Christian faith. One is to um, have too deep a fascination with them, and the other side is uh, uh, to not believe in their existence, and they're both equal uh, errors in the Christian faith, C.S. Lewis said. Yeah, that's correct. Too often, people either have too much fascination with them, and 
start going down dangerous roads that they shouldn't be going down because they're either reading books without proper over, oversight or they're just listening to stuff that they shouldn't be listening to, with, again, without proper oversight, um, or also just ignoring it completely and just completely oblivious to things that are going on in society or in media or on TV that they should be aware of where it's coming from. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, I often say from the pulpit that uh, too many Christians get their theology of heaven and angels from Philly cheese commercials, right? Because you have the angels kind of floating on the clouds and you have, you know, these cartoons, with these big, fat, plump babies, you know, with tiny little wings. Um, and, uh, and oftentimes Christians have in their minds this ethereal idea and understanding of heaven that's wrong. Um, but equally, I think that sometimes we get our theology of hell from, you know, Simpsons cartoons and uh, and of demons and uh, oppression and possession from movies like The Exorcist. So um, so, I mean, as Christians, we need to educate ourselves and we need to understand what the Bible has to say about some of these issues. Um, so before we delve into the conversation, I'll just kind of steer it and uh, and rely on you a little bit, Anthony. Why don't you, first of all, introduce yourself and uh, and tell uh, our listeners, because uh, a lot of our listeners will be theology nerds like us who are looking for good uh, content and good books and good theology uh, resources. So um, why don't you tell them who you are and what your business is, because that uh, that might help equip some people with some of the resources we might even talk about today. Uh, yeah. So my name is Anthony. Uh, I'm a heritage student, uh, seminary student in uh, Cambridge, Ontario, uh, doing my second year. Um, focusing on theological studies. Uh, I'm a, I lean more to the reform side of theology, uh, which is kind of strange for someone who is really into spiritual warfare and demonology and stuff. You usually don't hear about that too often in the reform side, but uh, that's kind of my main area of focus. Um, my company, Devoted Publishing, publishes a lot of uh, older theology books, so like stuff like John Calvin, John Owen, um, sometimes even going back earlier, depending on the early church fathers and all that kind of stuff. Um, so if you're really looking for good old content, like of the Reformation or where a lot of theology came from in the early days of the church, uh, definitely go check out my Facebook page and there'll be a link on there as to where you can get the books. Yeah. And so uh, what Anthony does is he he kind of uh, republishes a lot of uh, old theology books and old church father books, as he said, that are uh, public domain now, and he publishes them in, in really nice looking books. So if you want your bookshelf to kind of have that uniformity <laughs> and have like kind of nice hardwood uh, or hardcover books that uh, that sort of match, a uh, great way to, to um, improve your bookshelf aesthetics and also content uh, in one stop. So, um, so that's Anthony. And, uh, and I think one of the things that got you and I so interested in the conversations that we have is, is the fact that you are um, sort of uh, theologically minded, you are of the reformed persuasion, and yet you have this this interest in uh, spiritual warfare. Usually the Christians who are most interested in spiritual warfare are the crazy charismatics who are looking for, um, you know, a demon in every doorknob. So, yeah, exactly. so how did you get interested in this, uh, in this topic? Um, basically personal experience. Um, when I was a kid, I was attacked by spiritual demons um as a kid and as as my life went on I struggled a lot with trying to free myself from those I went down a lot of the charis charis well, charismaniacs um kind of past trying to figure out how to be free from that and it wasn't wasn't working 
And we're just going back to the Bible, seeing what it said, seeing, seeing how Jesus and the early and the apostles dealt with these things. And just then I was, I was free from them. Like I was able to get myself free from that, that strength, that stranglehold they had on my life. Um, and I think that's kind of where a lot of people are, are failing because they're buying these spiritual warfare books from the charismatic movement. Pr- movement and persuasion. And most of them are not referring back to the Bible to show what to do. Yeah, they're, they're relying on experience or tradition or, um, or who knows what else, quite frankly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, um, you know, it might have even been jarring for some of our listeners who aren't used to hearing um, this kind of uh, talk or this kind of, this topic delved into to hear you say you were attacked by demons when you were young. That might be that might have been jarring in and of itself for some of our listeners. And I, I think, you know, there's a couple things I would just say to kind of prime some of our listeners for this conversation. Number one. The recognition that um, during his earthly ministry, Jesus encountered all kinds of demons, right? There's all kinds of demonic activity, casting out demons. In in a lot of the summary statements of Jesus' ministry, it talks about healing the sick, casting out of demons, and teaching in the synagogues. Those are the three kind of things that Jesus was mostly doing in all those summary statements in terms of his earthly ministry. Yeah, exactly. And so we we ought to um, have an understanding as Christians that um, understanding demons, what they do, how they function, and uh, and all that kind of stuff is actually something that a responsible student of the Bible ought to have his head screwed on straight about. Now, I don't think either Anthony or I would say that demons are just as active now on earth in North America as they were during Jesus' earthly ministry, and that's not because there are less demons around or any of that kind of stuff. It's just quite simply because, I mean, the attack on Jesus himself would have been far more intense. I remember Martin Luther once saying that uh, um, as close as he found Christ— that he always found Satan just as close and that Satan was always as close as the sweater he wore. Martin Luther is saying that, but Martin Luther is saying that like at the height of the Protestant Reformation and you think of how integral, you know, Martin Luther was to the trajectory of history, it would make sense that Satan was actually attacking Martin Luther. Most of us will not be under the direct attack of Satan, but there is still demonic activity and the Bible is full of demonic activity that we need to understand because what we would say is that there still is a spiritual um, world, there still is a spiritual warfare, and Christians need to be aware of it. So this is how I would I often kind of define spiritual warfare, just so people don't turn off this episode yet and think that we're kooky. Um, <laughs> I would say that predominantly spiritual warfare is a battle for your mind. It's a battle for how you think about the world around you. And I'm getting that predominantly from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul says, you know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are powerful to destroy strongholds. We, t- we, we um, destroy every lofty thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ and make it obedient. So the idea there is that there are ideas, there are strongholds, there are ideologies, both in our individual lives, in our churches, in our communities, in our cultures, in our world, 
that are ungodly ideologies that are propagated by the forces of darkness in order to persuade Christians to live a certain way, to believe a certain thing, and to act in a certain way. And so whether you talk about the LGBT agenda, whether you talk about transgenderism, transhumanism, you talk about all kinds of various ideologies that have taken root and and have strongholds in our culture, um, we would say that that is the that is the the um, the work of the enemy to try to infiltrate the thinking of the people in the world, and that's one of the reasons we see that so much of this thinking has infiltrated the church as well, because the enemy is attacking the church with these ideologies as well. Does that yeah, yeah make exactly. Sense to you is that is that yeah jive exactly. With you? Um, what, years ago, I think one of the first things I said to you about spiritual warfare is that many people focus on the demonic. Right. They want to like exercise the demons or cast out the demons. Because they've watched one too many horror movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But spiritual warfare is so much more than that. It's a I remember when I was at Heritage as a college student, they were talking about spiritual warfare as in just being able to fight off wrong thinking in your mind. That completely opened up my world as to what I was thinking about it. Right. Right? It was it's not just about casting out demons. It's about living your life as God would want you to live your life. Right. It's living your life like Christ. That's right. Making the right decisions, doing the right things, despite everything that's going on in the world. What does the Bible say about having to live your life? That's spiritual warfare as well. And the other thing that spiritual warfare is, is guarding the church or your home or your friends from outward influences like false teachings, whether it's the word of faith movement, whether it's... um, occult teaching, whether it's bringing in astrology or anything like that, right. like like protecting the church, protecting the congregation, protecting your homes from f- teaching that is not of the word of God. That That is spiritual warfare as well. That's right. And it's interesting. So Paul says both in 1 Timothy and in Titus, when he's talking to the Christians there, he says, when he's talking to Timothy, he's talking to Titus and giving them instructions for what to say to the Christians that he's entrusting them with, uh, as he says you know, make sure that your people don't get caught up in myths and ideologies, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? Genealogies. And and what what Paul is, is instructing them not to do is to allow these sorts of things. So you just named off astrology. You named off, I think you said New Age. Uh, I can't remember what else you said, but you, you uh, word of faith movement. And you, you listed off some false teaching that has infiltrated various sects of uh, Christianity. And I would do air quotes around that because I think some yeah, of exactly. the people caught up in this are just not even Christians. Now, there, I think there are some good people in the pews who are just caught in false teaching, right? Mm. This, that's the spiritual warfare. That's the warfare that's going on for their minds and for their souls. Um, but I think a lot of the propagators of the teach, the teachers of these uh, ideologies, I don't even think are Christian. No, I don't think but, so either. But what Paul is talking about is the myths, right? Whether it's the Greek myths and um, the, the mythologies of the day, genealogies, human traditions that set themselves up against the knowledge of the Bible. That's what Paul's warning against. He's saying, don't let your people get caught up in that. Yeah. Now, some of those things look different today. But all these heresies, there's nothing new under the sun. You and I talk about ancient heresies all the time. Well, exactly. And and so let's just let's just delve into a couple of specific topics. You you mentioned word of faith. Yeah. And last conversation that we had, I was I was really enthralled by some of the things that you had to say about the connection between occultism and the word of faith movement. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Um, to understand that, you really have to understand what occultism is, right? Um. There's different types of occultism all across the world. Um, 
but the main thing that's happening in occultic thought is they're trying to use a supernatural for their own personal gain. Right. Um, you can read a different, if you read different occult books, it all basically points to the same thing. I'm performing a ritual, I'm performing an act to get something from the divine or the supernatural to benefit myself. Right. And you see that all across the word of faith movement. Whether it's riches, whether it's a job, whether it's health or something, they're praying to God for these miracles to benefit themselves. Right. The Bible is the opposite way around, right? It says that we're supposed to do things for the benefit of God. Right. We're supposed to do things to glorify God. If something happened, if a miracle does happen in our lives, it's supposed to glorify God. But the word of faith movement turns it around and says, this is about me. Right. About my comforts, my my benefits on this earth, on this, in this world. And it's, it's a complete perversion of the gospel. That's right. It's, it's interesting too, that you, um, so when you think about occultism, if, if we were thinking about occultism, a lot of it has to do with even dark magic and, and all kinds of weird stuff like that. But you were reading this one book and you're telling me about it not that long ago, um, where it was talking about incantations. It was talking about, um, essentially words that you put together for spells. This is, I mean, this is witchcraft, right? Yeah, this exactly. Is that you call call into being things that are not. First of all, that's an attribute of God alone, right? Yeah. Only He uh, creates ex nihilo. But more than that, you have um, in the Word of Faith movement, you have these particular buzzwords that you'll hear some of these Word of Faith teachers use, almost like incantations, as they're as they're calling on God to do their bidding, right? Yeah, exactly. I bind, right? I bind that thought. I bind or, or that. Or I claim person. this, or I, proclaim this, exactly. or something, or, right? Or I declare, right? Or those those are the kinds of things we claim this in, you know. And they'll say in the name of Jesus, but there's these particular names as if you can say, "I claim this healing," or "I claim this whatever." And because of the words that you speak, you're kind of calling God to action for you. Yeah, exactly. Now, of course, there is a there is a, a an aspect of the Christian faith where we do pray to God and he hears our words and he acts upon the words that we pray to him. But we don't have these particular command words like claim, declare, bind, um, that somehow um, uh, are more uh, efficacious than uh, than other words. And, and, and this is part of the thing about heresy, right, is there's always nuggets of truth that have been perverted and used for the, the gain of the creature rather than the glory of the creator. Well, exactly. Even in, in the books that I, I read under your supervision, um, there's always nuggets of truth within them. Right. It's always, when you read carefully between the lines what they're saying, you can see the perversion that these books are trying to put in, into your mind. Right. They're, they're trying to just get enough truth in there to make you believe it and then kind of hook, line, and sinker you down a line of false teaching. Right. That will drag your mind away from Christ. And you have to be careful of these things. It's it's happening all over media and our society and everything. There's right. there's these nuggets of truth that they're that they're talking about, but people aren't guarded enough to realize what the what the lie is. Right. Um like I've said before that Gnosticism is probably the was and is the greatest threat to the church today. Mm-hmm. It's so prevalent in the church, but people have forgotten about it because it's old. It's it was two thousand years ago. Like, look at the whole Da Vinci Code thing that happened twenty years ago. Yeah, people were like, "This is new. This is this yeah. is fantastic." It's like it's not new. It was dealt with two thousand years ago. Right. 
And we're dealing with it again because people have forgotten about it. So ju- just briefly define Gnosticism. What is the Gnostic her- heresy? I mean, uh, the, the New Testament is absolutely littered with... Um, anti-Gnostic with Paul, thought, Yeah, anti-Gnostic right? thought, because this is predominantly the heretical position that was leading so many uh, early Christians astray. Um, so if you look at uh, the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, uh, John is writing um, likely to the Ephesian church that was just split by a Gnostic teacher um, who uh, led many of the people astray in Timothy's church. So, um, so what is Gnosticism? Why don't you define that for us? Gnosticism at its core is the idea that the physical world's evil. It was created by an e- evil God. That evil God is the God of the Old Testament. Okay, so that's a separate God than the God of the New Testament in Gnosticism. The God of the New Testament has put a spirit of himself or of some, something inside of us, and that spirit is what is good. Right. And to, and to be saved, you have to kind of get a divine knowledge or a divine realization of your spirit being reunited with the divine. Right. So when just hearing that description, think for our listeners, think about a couple of things. Number one, think about some of the the quote unquote Christian teachers right now who are really advocating a an unhitching is that's um, that's um, Andy Stanley's um, uh, word um, who are trying to divorce themselves from the Old Testament. Right. Yeah. Who who will say things like you know the 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 Old Testament God who is you know full of wrath and full of this and full of that and then in the New Testament you have Christ. It's and, Marcionism all over again. Exactly. And so and so you have you have these these heresies even though they might not say it as bluntly as as uh, Anthony just described Gnosticism but we can see those tendencies seeping into even modern theology of some of the uh, um, the false teachers of our day. On top of that, you have, so there's this idea, you, you talked about this idea of like secret knowledge, right? Yeah. Well, how, how often, you know, when this is part of the people's fascination with horoscopes and with astrology and with all these kinds of things, is this idea that you can, you can divinate some sort of secret knowledge that will help you, right? You yeah, can look exactly. at some of the eschatologies of our day, right, in terms of discerning the, the times and, and looking at the stars and figuring out timelines and all this kind of stuff. Again, what is that? It's, it's looking for some sort of extra-biblical um, secret knowledge that is going to equip you to overcome whatever trial and tribulation there is, as if the Word of God isn't enough. Well, exactly. And there's even, even ideas about in the church, people believe that they're going to die and then go to heaven forever. Right. That that's that's almost gnostic out of its belief too. Well, I, because that's because exactly right. Yeah, keep going with that. The, the the Bible teaches that our our home is earth. That's right. Right. Our eternal home is going to be a re- new heavens and new earth. Gnosticism doesn't believe that. They believe the old earth will be destroyed and that we'll live in spiritual whatever forever. And part of that comes from this idea that. In, within the Gnostic teaching, um, everything physical is evil, right? Yeah. And everything spiritual is good. And so part of, they actually, they, they, um, some of the most extreme Gnostic teachers actually taught that it did, almost didn't matter what you did with your body. And so they would involve themselves in some of the, you know, Greek um, culture orgies and all kinds of stuff because your body, what, what you, how you sinned with your body didn't matter so long as you kept your soul pure. So there's this very, very uh, stringent spirit 
body divide. Yeah. And, uh, and so, but you have this seeping its way into the church again, because you have this belief that this earth is going to be completely destroyed. And there's a lot of people who think that they're going to be spending eternity in heaven, right? This very ethereal, very yeah. sort of spiritual existence, but they don't understand, they've, they've forgotten how much of the New Testament deals with the resurrection of our bodies, our physical bodies, yeah, exactly. and the fact that the the end state of man is on this earth, glorified earth, but this earth that's been amalgamated with heaven where Christ will rule. Yeah. So this is our final home. Heaven's just where we're passing through, right? Well, exactly. Yeah. Um, and even... And you may think I'm a little off off my rocker in saying all that, but it's it's all over the place. Yeah, it's in the it's in Christian literature all over the place. It's on on Christian media, social media. People just believe this earth is going to go away, and they're going to deal with it. it's not going to be dealt with. Right. It's that's that's not what the Bible teaches, right? And that Gnostic thought is also key in a lot of occultic thinking. Yeah. So you have this Gnostic idea that this in the church that the world is evil, I'm just going to go to heaven and be done with it. That allows for a lot of this occultic teaching to come in because people are like, yeah, you're right. This, this, this kind of, I kind of agree with that because of this other thing that they've been taught for so many years that isn't correct about the, the final state. That's right. So I just to kind of help our, our people think through some of the, the things culturally that are going on. Um, let's talk, first of all, you know, one of the big things going on culturally is this transgender movement, right? Yeah. I think, I mean, we've been battling the LGBT thing for a long time, but uh, in terms of the, the, the gay rights and the gay agenda... Um, that's been on the horizon. That's been, that's been a battle in the church for a long time. And, and sadly, many denominations and many churches have lost that battle. They're now ordaining gay ministers and all kinds of crazy stuff. The transgender thing is very interesting because this, you can see where this Gnostic heresy is at the root of transgenderism, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, This is how I feel inside. So there must be something wrong with me outside. That's right. And so it's like, there's that idea. You're a boy trapped in a girl's body or a girl trapped in a boy's body or you have the spirit I, I, this sounds crazy but if you don't follow this stuff it sounds crazy but if you actually follow it this, people are legit saying this people who are talking about having uh, the spirit of a wolf even though they're in the the body of a human and all this kind of stuff like it's it's this transhuman thought that i am like the most real me is this inner me this spiritual me that's trapped yeah. inside this flesh yeah, exactly. And that's at the root of this this Gnostic heresy. And 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 quite frankly, it denies the the creation because what we are, what a human being is, is not a spirit plus a body. It's a spirit body amalgamation. God God made us, he made our bodies, and he breathed the spirit into us. When you are a disembodied spirit, right? This is why the heavenly state the uh, is is an intermediary state yeah. because we are not human until there is a resurrection of the body and we are um, uh, reincarnated. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. So, so this this trans thought is is gnostic to its very core. But talk about some of the links between even that and occultism. Um, you have to understand with gnosticism, there's different schools that branched out from Paul's time into the early church. Um, the one that survived the longest was one called Manichaeism. You may, uh, you may have heard that term before because one of the church fathers, Augustine, yep. was a Manichaean before he became a Christian. That's right. He actually has a lot of writings against Manichaeism. Yeah. A, a lot of his theology is de- like 
arguing against Manichaeism. Like if you understand what, what the Manichaeans thought, you can see how he argues against it so much. And so that, that school of Gnosticism lasted the longest. It kind of branched out and just kind of went underground for so many years. Um, in about the 1200s, somewhere around there, um, in Spain, some Jewish mystics or J- Jewish magicians came up with a huge tome called the Zohar, which is the Kabbalah. You've probably, and you've, some of you have probably heard of that term before. What's the, um, uh, was it Madonna? Is that the, right? There's, yeah. Because it, 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 it kind of uh, spread through Hollywood pretty quickly, like I want to say 15 years ago or so, right? Yeah, the Hollywood Kabbalism is a little different than what yeah. the Kabbalah teach, the, the Zohar teaches. Um, but yeah, it's basically based off the same type of things. Anyway, um, the Zohar is basically a magical rereading of the Old Testament. It's commentary. It's, it's kind of like they, they reinterpret what the Old Testament says to find secret or f- hidden things that were not originally there. Hmm. So there's lots of Kabbalistic thinking in our world today. But what, how it links to Gnosticism is that Manichaeans came across the Kabbalah and the two kind of merged together. So, the, like I said at the beginning, there's lots of different types of occultism. But the occultism that came out of this and is most prevalent in the West is what's called Western esoteric hermeticism. Big words. So break it down for us. <laughs> so, so Western basically, it came out of Western religions like Christianity, Judaism. Esoteric in that it's magical. And hermeticism is because it, it incorporates so many different religions from the, the Mediterranean era, from the Middle East, and it just kind of merges all these kind of esoteric thoughts together into one Kabbalistic or magical system. And these people have been referencing the Kabbalah for the last 800 years in different things. Even, even Jews today, many of them follow Kabbalistic teachings, hmm. um, even if they don't know it. A lot, of, a lot of the things that they're being taught are from the Kabbalah because the rabbinic Judaism of, of today is very different than the Old Testament Judaism. People, people often don't realize that. But that's, that's kind of going on a rabbit trail. Um, <laughs> As we often do. <laughs> yes, yes, it often happens. But this, the Kabbalah and Manichaeism, when it merged, it became this new magical system. And stuff like astrology, tarot, and all these other kind of magical things that we find in our newspapers or on TV emerged out of that. Even the psychics that you find working on street corners or in or in hidden shops in downtown corridors, they're all basing what they do off Kabbalah and Manichaean teaching. And so we need to be aware of that. Yeah. And so just give our, give the listeners just a few examples of like, so what, what are some of the things that they're tapping into? What are, I guess, what are some of the things that they're um, utilizing? What does the Kabbalah, uh, Kabbalah teach that where's this magic coming from in their minds? So the Kabbalah and Manichaeism is very synchronistic, right? Um, which means that you can take any God, any, any divinity and kind of get your power from them. Um, but there are witches that take the Christian God, redefine him in the terms of the Kabbalah and Manichaeism and get their power from him and say that he 
extends himself out in what's called the tree of life. Um, this tree of life has what is called 10 different Sephiroths. Now, you may recognize that name from game Final Fantasy VII. Right. That's where the developers got that name from. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that game is evil or should be avoided. <laughs> I, I, I like that game. I've played it many times. Yeah. Um, but that's where they get the name from, and that's something we should be aware of. Um, but these different Sephiroths represent different areas of life that God has spread himself out to. And the way to kind of free yourself in esoteric thought is to elevate yourself along the Sephiroth and get to the final one at 10, which is basically the throne of God where you remerge with God. Right. So again, so, so I, I would say that there are very few people who understand that to the depth where they're, they're trying to work their way into the throne room. They're trying to work their way to the 10th Sephiroth and all this. But you can see how even just that thinking has seeped its way into Western thought. So exactly. I'll give you an, an example. So uh, many, many years ago, um, you know, Oprah, who was, you know, a self-declared Christian for many, many years and, and then years ago actually had um, Madonna on talking through Kabbalah literature and Oprah became a Kabbalist. I don't know. She started wearing that little red twine on her wrist and all this kind of stuff. But she famously had this this person on who was talking about, and they used what I call the blind elephant analogy, and I'm sure you've all heard it. It's this idea that there's an ele- if there, if God is an elephant, right, and um, we're all just blindfolded individuals who are feeling different areas of the elephant, and so for you know one person is feeling the trunk, what they feel is going to be very different than the person who's feeling the tail, feeling the side, feeling the feet, feeling the ears, yeah. right? Because they're the different areas. Now, that's that's just an analogy that probably many sort of non-spiritual sort of agnostic folks in the Western world would think when they think about God. They might not have the blind elephant analogy on the tip of their tongue, but they'll say things like, well, you serve God your way, I serve God my way. Well, that thinking comes from this idea that God has spread himself out and made himself available in all of these different avenues. And there are yeah. many ways to God yeah. that, co- that goes against what the New Testament says when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And no one gets to the father except through me. Yeah, so exactly. there's one way to God. So you can see how these things just they, they might start off in these these really dingy sort of, you know, Macbeth's three witches who are, you know, stirring up a cauldron. But this thinking is very predominant in uh, in Western thought. And that's the problem, right? Because, when, and we get, like I said, it's synchronistic. So some of these witches or warlocks, whatever you want to call them, they say, they say they believe in the God of the Bible. They say they believe in Jesus. The problem is, is that the God and Jesus they believe in are completely different than the New Testament God and Jesus. Right. Um, however, because they come into our churches looking for fellowship with their God, people don't realize that the God they proclaim is different than the God that we preach from the pulpit. That's right. Right? So these these occultists, these esoteric occultists are getting into our churches and they look they look just like us. They're wearing jeans and nice shirts or wearing suits and dresses. Like they look completely like a normal like a normal person. Yep. We don't realize who they are until we start asking them the questions that we need to ask them. Right. And realizing what, what lie they're actually preaching. But people are so ignorant about some of these teachings 
and so ignorant and so so forgetful of what these things were and what and the fathers that fought against them for so many years. But we've brushed it all aside to the point that these these witches will come into the church, say, yeah, I believe in God. And we're like, okay, no problem. You're welcome here. And suddenly these worldly systems, this, this demonic presence that we are supposed to be keeping out of the church is suddenly here. Right. Because we don't know what, we don't know how to discern what's going on. And so it's interesting. So when we're talking about, um, when we're talking about some of this this thought, and so people might say, okay, so you're 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 getting into some of these heresies, but what does this have to do with demons and, and all that kind of stuff? And so here's something that probably um, not a whole lot of uh, you know, even though probably a lot of our listeners have gone through post secondary, and you've probably studied the philosophy of Carl Jung. Yeah. And Carl Jung, I don't know how many of our people know, who, by the way, was a, is a major influencer of Jordan Peterson's philosophy, yeah. right? So you have Jordan Peterson, very influential, modern-day sort of philosopher, has a major following, um, and he is, was heavily influenced by Carl Jung. And if you read Carl Jung, he actually talks about how in a deep state of meditation, he was visited by a spiritual being named Philemon, who gave him his philosophical ideas, right? And so you have, what is that, right? What is is it for a non-Christian, right, secular, hater of God, philosopher, who is meditating and opening himself up to the transcendental, right, who's opening himself up to sort of the, the forces of the universe, visited by what he calls an angelic being named Philemon, who gives him philosophies that contradict the word of God. Yeah, what would we call that? We would call that like if if we were using sort of medieval, very base uh, language, we would say that's communing with demons, right? Like that's yeah, exactly. a, that's a, that is a that's spiritual warfare. That is a demonic entity that is giving an ungodly philosophy to a philosopher who ended up being very very influential. Who is still influential because yeah, um, Jordan Peterson. Well, number one is his text is still studied uh, in, and not only is his text still studied in philosophy philosophy classes, but in cultural studies classes and social sciences. And and you have it propagated through Jordan Peterson's teaching. Now, I don't want to get into the whole idea. Like, I, I really do think that that God's got his hooks in Jordan Peterson. I know there's been some talk about whether or not he's um, come to believe in Christ and whether or not there's been actual conversion. I'm hopeful, but I'm not even getting into any of that stuff. But what I'm saying is that, so these ideologies are given by something, Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah. and we would say that there are only two supernatural forces in the world. God and Satan. Yeah, right? exactly. That's it. Now, we have to be very careful. We don't believe in a sort of yin and yang. We don't believe in a equal but opposing forces. God is sovereign. Yeah. Satan is a created being. But all of Satan's minions, all of these fallen angels, these demons um, are p- still part of the cosmos and they are trying to bring ruin to the church. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, one one passage, you know, so many people love the book of Galatians. Martin Luther loved the book of Galatians. A lot of reformers love the book of Galatians. Yeah, exactly. Reform thinkers love the book of Galatians. And we love it for all of its, you know, um, you know, gospel is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen. You know, salvation comes um, only that way. But there's a little, there's a, there's a part, and when I was preaching through Galatians, we stopped here for a little bit, and uh, it's just an interesting um, passage that nobody really deals with, or people don't deal with very 
often, or they don't go deep in it. Um, it says, formerly, this is in uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So you have this really kind of cryptic little (laughs) uh, tidbit that Paul throws in there saying, look, you used to be enslaved. Yeah. To things, right? Entities, not talking about humans here, entities that are by nature not gods. Yeah, exactly. And he says, why, now that you know the living God, the God, why would you want to turn back to the elementary principles of the world? Yeah. Whose slaves you want to be once more. That's what he's saying. So, what is he talking about? Well, you, you got to kind of pull some of the things that Paul teaches together. Remember in uh, Corinthians, when he's talking about meat that's been sacrificed to idols. What does he say? He says, I don't want you to have anything to do with demons. Yeah. And he's talking about meat that's been sacrificed to idols. He's talking about demons are the forces behind the idols that those who are caught in mythologies and other worldly religions are sacrificing to their gods. Those are, those are demons. And you're enslaved to those until God comes and frees you. And I think that that's um, something that we just reformed people are not good at, at, at building a Christian view of the world. And that is, we aren't humanists. We aren't materialists. Yeah. We believe in a spiritual world, which includes angels, which includes God, but also includes demons and Satan. Yeah. And that's why being a reformed spiritual warfare or de- reformed demonologist kind of seems strange, but it's kind of a thing that needs to be brought back. Yeah. Um, Martin Luther spoke quite at length about the spiritual world and some of his writings, right? And you just don't hear about it anymore. Yeah. I mean, you you read some reformed theology books, which are really great, Mm -hmm. but the section on demons is very limited. And there's, there's more that can be said and then more, more that needs to be said because there's so much that's being forgotten about what the church fathers had to go through to protect people against the teaching of demons, which would be like Gnosticism or occultism or new age or all these other things that are starting to creep their way back into our society. That's right. That's right. Um, so this is just kind of a fun one. Um, we'll, we'll start wrapping it up. What we want to do is kind of whet your appetite and, and kind of expand your reformed thinking into the area of spiritual warfare as well, because we need a lot more reformed thinkers to be thinking and writing on this subject than just leaving it to the charismatics. Um, but uh, this is a fun one. You and I were chatting about this last time. Last time you're uh, going through a book for some research and you brought it in and it was talking about incantations and, and making potions. So yeah. this, is, this is legitimately, like I know some people are kind of chuckling to themselves, but like these are still books that are sold a lot around the world. Oh, like exactly. making potions. Like you would be shocked at how many people in North America, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends who are buying books on how to make magical potions. Oh, it's, exactly. it's, a, it's a legit business. It is. It's, it's a multi-million dollar business. And people don't even realize that they go to their health food stores and buy these little potions, these little bottles of oils or whatever, not realizing they've just, it's a, it's a potion. Like it's not, it's not even supposed to, it has it has no actual spiritual value 
Like well, and for, that's and that's the thing. So so you brought it in and you're talking to me. I'm, I'm we're gonna we're gonna lose half our listeners right here. <laughs> but we were talking about essential oils, yeah. right? And so you brought in this book and you're showing me the, this potion that this this book was was doing. And it was there was one for um, there's one for uh, uh, prosperity and there's one for healing and there's one for you know falling in love. I mean these are these really are like potions where they're trying to manipulate the the world around you. That's yeah, what exactly. witchcraft is, right? And so, um, but it was talking about uh, the essential oils to use in this potion. And it just made me think like, where's, here's another area where we've allowed, you know, occultic thinking to seep into the church. How many essential oil salesmen do we all know in, in the churches around us, right? Yeah, exactly. And now, now I, I want to be careful here because like, you know, things like tea tree oil, I mean, there, there have been things, God made the world marijuana has medicinal properties tea tree oil has medicinal properties like i understand that i'm not saying that all um uh, homeopathic medicine is is occultic that's not what i'm saying but what i am saying is that everything ought to be used in light of what scriptures say exactly and so here we have essential oils and how many times do you hear in the foyers at church Somebody's like, oh, like my my son has a uh, has a cold, and you have the the essential oil sales representative of the church, kind of, you know, I got a live one here, run over in the foyer and say, oh, if you take this such and such an oil and rub it on the bottom of their feet, then uh, that cold will go away, and, and you know, it's like, how like when I read the New Testament, it has very little, yeah, herbal recommendations, <laughs> and, and and a whole lot of exhortations to pray for those who are sick. Yeah, right? exactly. Laying hands on on the sick, praying for them, caring for them, right? Um, now, don't get me wrong. Why, um, Paul tells Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. We understand, you know, natural remedies. But this idea that you can um, manipulate the world around you, that you can bring healing, that you can bring prosperity and stuff through oils, through potions of any kind, it, it's... it's, it's occultic thinking that has seeped its way even into the church. Exactly. And so I would say, be careful. <laughs> be careful because a lot of people are playing with fire and they don't understand it. Exactly. Um, I, I always suspected there was something going on with the essential oils Just because movement. of how much it takes people over. Oh, I right? know, right? right? Like it really does. Um, there was someone I knew that she was a faithful Christian for many, many years. She got into essential oils and suddenly she is posting all kinds of other occultic things on her Facebook page. Interesting. It just consumed her and it dragged I, I tried to warn her mm. and she just wouldn't listen. Right. And it's like these things just dragged her down. Right. Um, again, like Nate said, I'm not trying to say all essential oils are bad. It's not what I'm saying, but you got to be careful how you're using them. You got to be careful where they're coming from, how and you're the applying of, them. And and the kind of power that you think they have. Exactly. Right? At the end of the day, like whether it's, you know, you know, actual witchcraft potions or whether it's, you know, uh, essential oils or anything else, like the minute you start to look in faith to something else to be your healer or your sustainer or your provider, you're you're in dangerous ground, right? That's exactly. idol- that's idolatry no matter what the object of your affection is. Yeah, exactly. So um, okay, so there's two two kind of things that I wanted to wrap up with just for some practical thoughts. The first one is this. One of the reasons I think Christians need to be so aware of sort of the demonic dimension of our Christian faith 
is because I've heard over and over again with everything that happened through COVID, um, I heard over and over again that one of the accusations that was thrown my way was that I've I've become anti-government and I'm imputing all these evil motives to the government and you have people who have, have thought differently about COVID than I have who um, are sort of accusing me of um, accusing the government of being some sort of, you know, mastermind of evil and all this kind of stuff. Now, I do think the government does some wicked and awful and evil things. Oh, for sure. But I want to I be very, very clear. Ephesians chapter 6, which is another go-to spiritual warfare passage, talks about the, the evil powers of darkness that are behind the powers and the rulers of earth. Yeah. And so when we talk about whether or not this is dark and evil, when we're talking about lockdowns and restrictions and closing the church and all this kind of stuff, I think one of the things that we need to recognize is that it might not be that Justin Trudeau or Joe Biden or Doug Ford are some sort of evil masterminds. I don't think any of them are, quite frankly. But we do recognize that these are leaders that do not love God, that do not love his word, and therefore their thinking has been infiltrated by darkness. If spiritual warfare is predominantly a battle over how you think, if Carl Jung could be influenced by a demonic entity, do we not think that some of our world leaders who hate God, that's what the scriptures say about all those who have not put faith in Jesus, that they are enemies of God, that they hate God, um, do we not think that they are in some way being influenced, in some way being um, uh, directed by demonic forces that do love seeing the church closed, that do love seeing the Lord's Supper suspended, that do love seeing the one and others of Scripture not being practiced by local churches. Of course. And yeah. so I don't, I, don't, I'm not, I don't consider myself a conspiracy theorist any, any more than just saying we all are to some degree a conspiracy theorist because we understand that there are spiritual entities behind the powers yeah. that rule the world, and those forces of darkness are not stupid. They're, they're, they are trying to destroy the church. And so do we think that they had an agenda through all of this that, that needed to be pushed back against? And I would say they do. So that's yeah, one exactly. reason it's so important, because I think a lot of Christians who haven't been thinking about the spiritual side of our, our Christian warfare, um, you know, didn't even, that didn't even factor in as they were trying to discern what to do. Second thing I would just say is this. There's this really interesting passage um, that I came across a couple years ago. You and I chatted about it. It's in Deuteronomy 32, and I'll read verses 8 and 9. It says, When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. Okay? So uh, I'll just stop there, and then I'll read verse 9. So when the Most High, so when God, gave to the nations their inheritance when he divided mankind. So biblically speaking, when did God divide mankind? Tower of Babel. Right. So Tower of Babel happens, one, you know, kind of one world united government to try to, you know, make themselves uh, like gods. And God confused their languages, and then it says that he set them around the world, right? That he, he set them. So God fixed the borders of mankind after the Tower of Babel. It says he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. 
The term sons of God is used several times in scripture. Um, people might have differing ideas about Genesis chapter 6 and the Nephilim and the, the sons of God marrying the daughters, uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, the sons of God marrying the daughters of men. Some people think of that as the godly line of Seth intermingling with the ungodly line. I actually happen to think that that has to do with angelic beings, sons of God, angelic beings, yeah. um, uh, attacking essentially the, the seed of the woman, attacking the bloodline, trying to um, use spiritual warfare in a very physical way to try to um, thwart God's plans to one day send a rescuer through the seed of the woman. And that's why God destroys the earth. Uh, with a flood in Genesis chapter 6. But whatever you think of Genesis chapter 6, we don't even have to use that. Let's go to Job, right? The sons of God who are present in the heavenly realms in the book of Job. It's the same phrase here that's translated sons of God. So when I read that, and I got this from Calvin's commentary. You talk about Reformed theology. This is from Calvin's yeah, commentary. Okay. He said, when the Most High gave the nations their, inher- their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. Calvin says that what happened there is as God divided up the nations, that sort of the fallen angels, the demonic entities, each took up residence with one of the nations. And then look at verse 9. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. So the idea there is that it's actually Christ, right? Yep. It's it's God himself who uh, rules over the nation. Because what happens right after the Tower of Babel? God chooses Abraham and says, I'm going to make out of you a nation for myself, right? Yeah, exactly. So in other words, what happens is all of the nations get split up according to the number of the sons of God. So there's some sort of demonic entity that is at the helm, that is at the the the, the head of each of these earthly nations. Well, scripturally speaking, so you might say, well, that's a really funky way of looking at the world, Nate. Well, we see this in the book of Daniel, right? There's a prince of Persia. Yeah, exactly. That, that holds up Michael or holds up Gabriel from coming and talking to um, Daniel. To, to Daniel, yeah. Right, and and that's that's a so there's some w- some way in which a demonic entity that has some sort of jurisdiction over Persia actually engage in some sort of battle with an angelic angel named Gabriel. That's crazy, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. But that's in the Bible. And so I think what we, what, whether it's Marduk, which was the god of the Babylonians, whether it was, you know, Baal, who was the god of the Canaanites, whether it was Astareth, who was the god of the Philistines, whoever it was, um, we, what, what we would say, again, this is pa- back to Paul, who says that, you know, meat sacrificed to idols was meat sacrificed to demons. We would say that these false gods, these fake gods, are demonic entities who are trying to to rule a nation after their own image rather than allowing God. Yeah, so, exactly. So then what happens, spiritually speaking, is when Christ comes, notice that he expands from just Israel, which is his nation to rule, to now he wants all the nations. Yeah. All authority has been given to him. And so the, the part of the story that we live in is the part of the story where Christ's people are going into enemy territory to bind up the strong men, that, that the strong demonic entities over a particular nation so that we can make disciples of all nations and teach them obedience. So I, I look at that and I say, we have to understand that the ideologies that we will encounter as we try to disciple the nations are demonic ideologies that have been fed for centuries to the nations that the demons thought that they had jurisdiction over, but now Christ wants to claim that territory and those people groups for themselves. Yeah, exactly. And you can even look at the temptations of Christ to, to prove that, right? 
Yeah, good when, point. When when Satan offers his third temptation, he says, all these kingdoms of the world will I give to you if you bow down and worship me. Christ does not contradict Satan in that. That's right. Satan has control of these other nations. They are his to give Christ. But when Christ dies and defeats Satan... He takes the wor- them back he, on he, his he, terms. He, he takes them back, right? That's right. They are no longer Satan's, but it's still our job to go out and defeat those enemy powers, to overcome those nations, to not militarily, but like spiritually. Yeah. yeah. We battle not against flesh and blood, but yeah, exactly. Right. That's right. To, to go out and claim Christ's kingdom back for him. That's right. And, and that's a really good point because, um, you know, Jesus, um, it, it was a real temptation of Jesus, meaning that there was a temptation there. There was a, there was a possibility of him sinning and that what the temptation was, was to get what he came to earth for while circumventing the cross. Yeah, in other exactly. words, to do it an easier way, to do it not the way that God the Father had ordained, but yeah. instead doing it the easier way that circumvents the cross. That was the temptation. Yep, And exactly. yet Christ went to the cross, and that's how he won back the world. Exactly. So, all right, huge topic, and maybe we blew your minds, maybe that's stuff you've heard before, but uh, I think it's important for us as Christians, especially with everything going on right now, the ideologies of the world that are so bombarding the church, this is why it's so important for the leaders of the church to guard to teach sound doctrine, to refute error, because it's not just human ideology. It's not just human wisdom that we are battling against. These are dark, demonic, evil ideologies that have set themselves up against the knowledge of Christ, and they need to be taken captive. Exactly. And uh, as, as I said at the beginning, if you have questions, go to my Devoted Publishing Facebook page, send me a message, ask me about an, a name you've heard or an idea you've heard, and I will do my best to answer it as honest, as honestly, as quickly as possible. And if this is an area of, of interest to you, um, go and like Devoted Publishing. Ask, uh, you know, ask Anthony for some recommendations. He's read way more on this subject than I ever have or ever plan to. <laughs> and, uh, and you can ask him and he can point you in the direction of some resources to start with. And, uh, and that'll be a, a good way for you to delve into the topic. And he'll also be able to tell you, you know, where to be careful in terms of, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of gray area in this with people where he's getting good information from somebody who you also have to be careful of in, in other ways. So Anthony yeah. will be a good guide, uh, if this is an area where you want to delve a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, well, uh, it is a business to do realize that, uh, so if you're looking for an immediate answer, that's fine. I can give one for free. It's not a big deal. <laughs> um, if you're looking for like a researched, thought out paper of different views or different evidences, um, there might there's going to be a small charge for that. So just be prepared for that. Yeah, and uh, and if you're just looking for some books and some resources, yeah, that's and you completely want them to look, free. And and you want to look at them um, and make them look nice on your bookshelf, <laughs> go and uh, and uh, buy some of your next uh, old books from uh, from Anthony. Uh, that's from me. He didn't tell you to do that. So <laughs> thanks for coming on, Anthony. Uh, thanks yeah, for no wetting people's appetite, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, thank you. Bye.